Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There are now more than 1,000 cases in 38 states in Washington, D.C., the largest cluster in the country. It's happening in the New York City suburb of New Rochelle. The National Guard has been called in. New states of emergency have been declared in Colorado, Massachusetts, and Michigan. We will see more cases, and things will get worse than they are right now. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. We have already lost uh, 24, 24 of our citizens. We're heading towards an epidemic in the United States, and the question is what the scope of that is going to be. Tom Hanks and his wife, the actress Rita Wilson, have announced that they have both tested positive for coronavirus. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. That was a year ago today, and we had no idea how much more to, there was to come. And um, one of the things I'd like to ask Tim the lawyer about is the last year in terms of personal freedom and private property, since he's an expert in that. And we'll get to that. Indeed, Tim the lawyer, Sandifer, is the vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. He's also written a number of interesting books, including The Ascent of Jacob Bronowski, uh, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, Cornerstone of Liberty, Property Rights in 21st America and uh, 21st Century America, and one of my favorites, The Permission Society, which was inspired by this dopey little radio show. Tim Sandifer, how are you, Tim? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I n- Terrific. I noticed from your Twitter picture that you changed it. I think you're planning on running for office. It has the look of a guy who's running for office. It really does have a sort of I'm I'm running for governor kind yes. of vibe to it, doesn't it? Yes, it's not it does. really intentional, but I just, you know, I thought I should 
update it because my my previous picture did not have my COVID long hair. <laughs> so you still have the beard, do you? I do, and I have and longer I hair. Have hair hair down past my ears at this point. I really need to take care of this. But you're standing Damn, in hippie. a you're standing in a lectern in a suit and tie and like pointing and your mouth is open like you're really telling a crowd what's going on. So yeah, Tim Lawyer clearly running for office. Yeah, God looking like a Marxist. No, I've, I, the, my wife has put her foot down about this that if I ever run for office she will leave me. So oh, interesting. No, that, that, <laughs> That is a, a, a wise woman. So let's. Uh, we are anxious to talk about just the uh, the liberty, the history of the last year in terms of uh, liberty and how quickly we've given it up. But we want to pay heed to what you've been working on specifically these days, which is civil asset forfeiture, something a lot of people don't even understand exists. Oh, yeah, and, and I don't blame them because it's so contrary to the basic principles of American liberty that it's it really stuns people to learn that what goes on. And this is a, a legal principle that says that the government can take away your property on the theory that the property was involved in a crime and then just keep it without filing a charges against you and certainly without convicting you of any crime. They just come in and they take the property. And what happens then when they take it is that you get a, a little document that says, hey, we have your property. If you want it back, you have to come, come down to, the, to the, the police station. You have to sue us, basically. And, of course, when you do sue them, what that means is, since it's technically considered a civil proceeding, and since you are technically the plaintiff, the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply, which means that you can be forced to testify against yourself. And you're required to prove your innocence instead of the government having to prove your guilt. So what happens is basically the government, the, the police officers can target you, take your property, and then force you to come and pay to get it back. Well, give, give me an example. Like um, I get pulled over at night and they suspect me of drunk driving. Could they just take my car? Oh, certainly, and they, absolutely they could, or if you just have a lot of cash in the car, or if they just think that you have, you know, might be engaged in some sort of drug trafficking, trafficking or something like that, or even a relative of yours. So just this week, we've got a, a good result in a case in Massachusetts where the police officers seized our client's car because her son was engaged in drug crimes, uh, allegedly, and the police officers decided that she was involved somehow, uh, or the car was involved in somehow, and and took it and put it in an impound lot and left it there for five years before even serving her with the paperwork. Wow! They didn't even let. They didn't even say, "Hey, by the way, you can get your property back." Until this year, when they took the property in 2015, they took this car in 2015. When she was, they never accused her of being involved in a crime. They've never filed charges against her, let alone convicted her in court or anything like this. They simply kept it. And guess what? When we showed up and said, "Hey, we're a bunch of lawyers and we're prepared to take this to court," they backed down and gave her back the car. And that so, happens time and time and time again. The government takes this property on the on the in the assumption that you are too afraid to get it back. Now, there's no interest in the police, or there's no benefit to the police having a lot full of impounded cars. What's the incentive? Why is this happening? A lot of the time, they sell it at those police auctions and things. They're also allowed to keep the the cash. They all, cash is very often still, uh, seized by the government. And remember, this idea is that it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be a tool against big 
level drug kingpins, right? Like you see, like back in the olden days when you saw it on Miami Vice, it was always either they're going to take some some big drug kingpins luxury yacht or something. But the reality is that most seizures through civil asset forfeiture are very small, less than $500 in most cases. And most cases, people are not even charged with a crime. And this amounts to an enormous amount of, of money flowing into police departments since they're allowed to keep this money. In Massachusetts alone in the past 20 years, it's been $327 million that has been seized through asset forfeiture that goes directly into the accounts of law enforcement on top of the tax dollars that they already get. So there's reason to believe that some of it is just a profit deal. Absolutely. We call it policing for profit because the uh, these forfeitures pay for themselves. And the prosecutors very often like to use that as an advertisement. They say, hey, this is a great program because it pays for itself. The reason why it pays for itself is because the government isn't bothering to have a lawyer actually show up in a trial court and prove the defendant guilty. They're just taking the cash and pocketing it. And the law enforcement in this country has become truly addicted to this influx of cash to the point that many law enforcement agencies don't even bother prioritizing crimes such as rape and murder because those have no profit-making aspect to them. They they prioritize going after property from people that they say in some vague terms might somehow be involved in a crime. We had a case in Tucson just a a, a couple months ago where the the, the police – seized our client's Jeep because his girlfriend drove the Jeep to a 7-Eleven in order to arrange for the sale of an ounce of marijuana. And they seized his brand new Jeep. And when he said, I want my Jeep back, they said, well, if you give us $1,900, we'll give you back the Jeep. Where did the $1,900 come from? They just came up with that amount. They just said, eh, give us a little back sheesh and we'll return the Jeep to you. Then when we wrote them a letter and said, hey, by the way, now the guy's hired a lawyer here at the Goldwater Institute. Eh, they back down. Oh, no, you can, you can, you can have your jade back. You don't oh, have to pay for wow, it. Oh, wow, that's something. so mobbed up. That, that's just the mob. Again. That's the mob. Well, how in the name of James Madison does this square with the Fourth Amendment? It absolutely does not. But what happened was this is actually a very, very old legal principle. In fact, it was around in the Founding Fathers' Day, and it was one of the reasons for the American Revolution. What happened was the British government expanded the authority of what was called admiralty courts, which were supposed to be governing crimes at sea. And the British government expanded their authority to allow British admiralty courts to hear cases that arose on land. And what they would do is they would do just this. They would seize people's property and force them to come in and prove themselves innocent of a crime. And the judge got to keep a cut of it if he ruled against the guy. So that's why when you read the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence refers to this. It says says that the king has subjected us to a system of laws that is alien to our Constitution. They're talking about these admiralty courts which were engaged in asset forfeiture 200 years ago. And yet we allow it to go on in the United States today because of, of course, the drug war. The most famous of those cases, of course, Yar versus R. (laughs) <laughs> which was decided in favor of R. Tim, the lawyer, Sandifer. Tim Sandifer is the VP for litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, Jack, you ready to move on to uh, the last year and the incursions into personal yeah, liberty? So the president's given his address to the nation tonight because it was one year ago today that the WHO officially declared it a pandemic. You, you can pick a variety of days as the Bunch official. China loving liars. Beginning, but uh, as a guy who's written books and spoken and thought a lot about private property and personal freedom, <sighs> What's your overarching feel about this last year? Uh, is this shocking to you that these things happened? Not surprising what? 
Well, I would say that my overall feeling is that it's um, very complicated. It's a lot more complicated than people on either side really want to admit, because we're not talking about something that government has absolutely no business doing. Like when we're talking about something like eminent domain or the government takes away your house and to build a shopping center there, government has absolutely no business doing that whatsoever. But when you're talking about a pandemic and stuff, obviously government does have a legitimate role in protecting people against infectious diseases and things of that sort. So it's it's harder to draw clear lines. But what you find is a lot of the time the government says, oh, well, we've got this great idea, so we're going to do this tra truly crazy wild thing based on what was originally a good idea. And so you find things like in Pennsylvania, for example, and the governor says, well, we're going to shut down all these businesses but by the way, you can come to me and ask for an exemption, and I will grant exemptions based on purely arbitrary criteria, and I'm not even going to tell you what my reasoning is as to whether or not people get exemptions. And by the way, my friends get exemptions, but other people don't, and that sort of thing. And that's a real problem. And so there have been lawsuits all across the country over stuff like that, but those really do violate the Constitution. So it, it's hard to answer the question in the abstract. One thing, though, I would say that is a real concern is you, you mentioned my book, The Permission Society, which was indeed inspired by conversations on your show, especially Joe likes to say whenever you hear the word permit, remember that a, a permit, that's actually a verb, the government will permit you to do something. And the, this, we are sliding very quickly from a country where you are free to act unless you're harming somebody else into a permission society where you are not allowed to act unless the government allows you to. And when that happens, then you have to satisfy the government. You have to say, may, mother, may I, before you do whatever the thing might be. And I would say California, for example, has, has basically become the permission society where you, you, there's virtually nothing you can do without some kind of government approval, which depends on, on the largely arbitrary decisions of bureaucrats at the city, county, state level, and so forth. Well, speaking of Cal Unicornia, what really troubled me about the COVID response was that there are specific statutes that describe what an emergency is and when the governor right. can invoke emergency powers. And there has been nothing close to an emergency for many months now in most California counties. And yet, apparently, the mechanisms for correcting that are too slow or something. How, how is Here's the how, thing. Here's the thing. When it comes to government, so government wants to protect people's safety, right? So let's say the, the government wants to protect, and, and this is, let's say they're all being very conscientious about this. Let's put aside any question about bribery, self-dealing, anything like that. Let's say these people are all angels and they want to protect people's safety. Well, the safest thing to do in almost every circumstance is nothing whatsoever, right? Because if there, there's always a risk to doing anything. We call that a type two error as opposed to a type one error, which is when you go and do something and, and it really is risky and you don't know what you're doing, right? A type two error is when you decide, well, gosh, better safe than sorry. And the, the, there, there's an old uh, – in fact, Thomas Aquinas, the, the old philosopher, used to say if, if the captain's number one priority was safety, he would never leave port and that's what happens when you prioritize safety over other concerns is you actually end up hurting people more, for example, by withholding medical treatments that could save lives. You say, well, I don't know if I'm going to allow people to sell this medicine because it might hurt people. Well, yeah, but it might cure more people. But see, the government won't get punished if it refuses permission. It'll get permission if it allow. It, it'll get punished if it allows permission, and that thing ends up hurting people. Then you, then it's a scandal, right? Uh, well, how dare you allow the sale of this dangerous medicine? And that becomes a big deal. 
But if the government refuses to allow a good medicine to go out, well, nobody finds out about it, right? It, it never occurs to anybody because it just never went on sale. So what the government does is it's overly conservative. And I, I don't mean that politically conservative. I mean, it's right. temperamentally. It's overly conservative. It's, it's afraid to take risks. And there's no incentive to do so. Who wants to be the elected official in California who stands up and says, I don't know, I think it's time for us to waive this state of emergency, and then is wrong, right? They're terrified of that. And so there's every incentive for keeping the state of emergency in place, and there's really no mechanism for eliminating it. What California and other states need to do is to have a law that says a state of emergency automatically terminates unless it is renewed by the state legislature. That's There it is. And California doesn't have that. Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation for the Goldwater Institute. As always, we're sitting here wishing we could talk to you all day, but we really need to take a break. Tim, really interesting stuff. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Kansas is doing that, and every state needs to do that. Your your emergency powers last X number of days, and then it has to be renewed by the legislature. Or Amen, ends. brother. Perfect. That'd be a good uh, outcome of this whole thing. More on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.